Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Cloud Wars Live. We are kicking off the year 2021 in grand style here with our good friend and digital business, digital strategy expert, Wayne Saden. Wayne's been a CIO, a CTO, a CDO, and Wayne now advises boards of directors and CEOs on how to turn their traditional strategy into a digital strategy that carries them into the future. Wayne, welcome back. It's a pleasure to have you. It's great to be here as always, Bob, especially as 2021 dawns. Wayne, two quick personal notes, if I might, and then I know you've got a jam-packed agenda, some fascinating things you want to chat about. First is, I saw that on Twitter, you've been adding into your sort of handle there, uh, the Moderna. So it looks like you've, you've got the vaccination. I did last week. I'm old and fat, so I qualified in Texas. And I will just put in a quick plug. Everybody talks about how bad government has been at this. I found it to be safe and efficient. I got invited two different places to get my vaccine. I got it quickly. I've had no side effects. And I'm feeling terrific about the world right now and about the world of the future. That's fantastic, Wayne. Good to hear. Good to hear. And I'm glad to hear that it was a good experience, right? Not just the efficacy of the medication, but also how you're feeling about it and the experience you went through. So I guess that sort of might tie in with over your right shoulder. There's two big bottles of wine there now. So it's a, it's a two bottle week. Well, I'm about six weeks away from getting my second dose and then having it work. And so I've got to think about what kind of party I might plan for other vaccinated people. So I'm starting <laughs> to think about the wine menu. All right. Well, if that's the case, I'm going to see if I can bump myself up on that list uh, and see what's going on. Wayne, you know, as, as always, the range of things that uh, that you want to talk about, I think, are so pertinent and helpful. So there, there's, a, there's a number of them here. We'll see if we can jump through a few of these. But I think in the big picture way, right, you wanted to say, hey, we're already partly into 2021. And the way the pace at which things are changing, you wanted to look even a little farther ahead. So tell us what's on your mind there, Wayne. Sure. Well, again, part of it is my own optimism, getting my vaccination and seeing people all around me. So I'm starting to believe that 2021 will be a very interesting trans transition year. And so instead of talking about 2021, let's talk about 2022. Okay. Let's talk about where we want to be. Begin with the end in mind. Because if you're a CEO or board or CIO, you better be planning for what you expect to see 12 months from now through 24 months from now. Hmm. And so that's the kind of stuff I'd like to talk about. Because if we're not talking about that stuff now, we're just going to blunder into it. And that's not the way to run a business. Yeah. When and uh, my, my mother always used to say, you have two choices. You can go out and make your way in the world or you can let the world happen to you. So I like your outlook there, getting out in front of some of these things. So when a couple of them, I know that were top on your list there, right? Uh, and, you know, we see television commercials about it. And I know they're trying to drum stuff up about 5G and what's going on but they almost seem to trivialize it in some ways, but you've got a sense here of there's going to be almost like a rippling effect, right? As this kicks in, it's going to affect other things, which really will have a profound and sweeping impact across all manner of business. Absolutely. And we can talk about the 5G rollout, which we can have a whole technical discussion that's irrelevant, the three bands and the different speeds and how we put the towers. Think about better bandwidth, and think about much better latency. Latency is the time from when I send a message till the time I get an answer. And if I'm running a robot suturing machine, 
I better find out pretty quickly when he should stop sewing <laughs> versus waiting 14 milliseconds or 15 milliseconds. Or if I'm running a laser beam milling machine, I don't want to cut the end off something that I shouldn't. So having better latency and having better bandwidth changes the world. And it's not just that, you know, I, we talk about last mile, there's the last 50 feet is really hard. And so Wi-Fi is changing. There's a new Wi-Fi band called Wi-Fi 6E, which just started to come out in devices that will give us more bandwidth. It'll give us less congestion, which means if I've got a factory of the future and I've got every fork truck, doorbell, camera, um, machine tool talking to my network, they can do so without congestion. The IT department doesn't have to sit there and measure everything with antennas. You throw the devices up and everybody's talking. So we have the last few feet solved by Wi-Fi and by Bluetooth. We have then the 5G, which kind of set, takes care of the middle. And then if you look at things like Starlink and some of its competitors, that's solving the last 50,000 mile problem bouncing a signal in space and back, which means I can get coverage anywhere. If you're running a business that used to depend on a sat phone that had the big antenna and you had to stand and point at the sky, we're a couple of years away from being able to connect wherever you are, whenever you are at a reasonable price with very good latency and, and very good bandwidth. And that drives something very important. The, the migration from selling things to selling data about things. There's a famous old quote in banking, information about money is becoming as valuable as the money itself, which is the underpinning of investment banking. Now, if you're in the business of selling a widget, I got a client that sells widgets. They make things that go into a safety uh, application. And I'm trying to convince them, keep making the widgets, but you've got more data about this business than anybody else in the world. So why don't we take all this data and figure out how to drive decisions better by having data instead of just selling the widget for each company to make their own data. Now I can have an industry database and tell you as a client, you're better than average. You're worse than average. You're better than other people in Louisiana. You're better than people with this size or whatever the slicing and dicing of the data is. And then maybe we should open up our products so our database talks to all of our competitors and all of a sudden, we're less in the making things business and more in the providing insight business. Mm -hmm. A lot higher margin and a lot hot closer to the decision makers in a company than going to the people who buy the widgets in the field. So business is changing because I can collect data. And if you think that any doorbell, camera, fork truck, milling machine, a microphone on your desk is not going to be data enabled a year from now, 18 months from now. You're not thinking about this right because it's so cheap to put it in, but it's so difficult to pull the data out. So we have what's known as the edge problem. I got it stuck in the edge. Now I got to get it back to where I want it. And when you think about the number of electric vehicles that manufacturers are talking about, you know, Tesla's talking about million, a million plus, G's talking about them, Volkswagen shipping them. If you have millions of these cars, it's not just that they're EVs, it's their supercomputers. Mm -hmm. It's all of that level four and level five they're trying to get to requires vehicle to vehicle and vehicle to infrastructure communication. And that's going to drive so much use of data that we have to open up the pipes. And there's one more thing. It ties very directly into something I know you're, you're interested in. 
cloud databases are allowing us to do things that most of us couldn't do before. You had to be a research company. You had to be somebody willing to invest millions to take advantage of the database technology that is now becoming commoditized by the oracles, by the snowflakes, by the, the Amazons of the world. And I know you're very interested in that, right? Yeah, we've got uh, Wayne, that cloud database report coming up here. My uh, partner, John Foley, is going to be working on that, and he'll develop that into a newsletter. So we'll take a, a hard look at some of these emerging companies, whether they are some small ones with interesting new technology like Mongo or certainly not in a low profile way lately, but Snowflake versus what some of the big incumbents are doing and how they're trying to work that. But you're absolutely right. The core purpose behind all that is to try to gain some insight into this exploding digital slash data economy that everybody's coming into. And that transformation, as you've just described so well, Rain, of how businesses are going to become what they need to be in the future to continue to grow and thrive versus just what we've all done in the physical world up until very recently. You know, I've been working with databases for like 40 years. And for most of that time, they weren't very interesting. I remember when relational became the thing. That's how old I am. And since then, what have you seen? But today, 2021, 2022, we're seeing that change. So I think your newsletter is very timely. And I'm just looking forward to reading it because it's going to drive a lot of the capability that allow us to move up the stack in value. And I think if you're a CEO and you're a board member, you should be asking, what are we doing about edge data? Not technically how we get it. Right. How do you connect to those things out in the field and do something with that insight? It's not about data. It's about insight about data. It's about sense and respond. And without a database and without a data connection, the 5G, Wi-Fi 6E, Starlink and all, everything is stranded. Now, finally, it's going to open up. And I think that's going to be a huge trend in 2022 and beyond. Wayne, if I could uh, use an analogy there, you know, from the old world to this new world. I remember a, a guy I knew, uh, well, it was probably 30, 40 years ago, but down around Wall Street, he opened up a computer store. And he said, I was never in the retail business, he said, but he said it was in the tech business, but he said, I learned quickly. He said, somebody walks into my store, as he put it, he said, you dirty my carpet, you breathe my air, you take up my space, and you think you're going to walk out without buying anything. So you've got these edge devices that you just described, data is moving back and forth there. And I think companies have to look at those in the same way. These are our assets. We've got important knowledge or data information insights being created here they got to capture those and pull them back but you've got to have both you know the uh, networking technologies you described it and the cloud database technology be able to harness that but particularly the mindset from leadership in companies that this is the frontier this is the future and this is where we have to go now i think you've laid that out well so wayne you take all those new opportunities that businesses across every industry are having you look at this sort of continuing boom that's going on in the tech sector new cloud databases and emerging cloud applications and uh the move toward a lot of the cloud hyperscales and so forth it sounds like the business growth outlook for your 2021 into 2022. Uh, there's lots of reasons to feel pretty robust about that, right? Oh, absolutely. Uh, one of the investment banks made a prediction the other day that 2021 will see the highest percentage job growth in history mm -hmm. since they started keeping records. 
even bigger than the end of World War II. Now, does that mean we'll have higher employment as a gross number? No, but the, because we fell so far. But the rate of change is about to go like this. As we vaccinate millions and millions and millions of people, and people are able to go out and start buying. Remember, we're investing, what, I think $3 trillion have been spent so far. And the incoming president is talking about another $2 trillion. And then we're talking about infrastructure investments. Yeah. And there's just so much. What if they forgave the college debt? That's another discussion. I'm not political. I don't want to talk about that. I'm talking about how much money gets injected into the economy for productive use. And you're going to see growth like we haven't seen. And what does that mean to a board? What does that mean to an employer? It's going to become a seller's market for talent. Yeah. It's not going to be where all these people are out on the street because the growth curve is going to catch them and sweep people up. So what does that tell you? It says, because most of us may not have, we, we realize we can work in sweatpants just as easily as in a three-piece suit. I discovered when I looked at my laundry that I've worn one pair of socks this week, even though I've been on video conferencing every day. Um, I got slip-on sandals that I wear when I work now. Do I have to be dressed up to work? Which means I can work from anywhere, I can work from home. And that's the way companies are going to attract, and motivate and retain people. At two o'clock when my energy flags, I go out on the beach and ride my bike. Um, that's not something I can do when I'm sitting at a client's office. So I think you're going to see a lot of that, which ties back into that whole data question and edge devices. How do we set up devices? Look at the investments in Zoom, in Teams. Look what's going on with Slack. We are building better tools to collaborate remotely every single day. So just go out a year and think about what's going to be on your desk your AR glasses, your um, Teams device from Lenovo or whoever. It's gonna change the way we work um, and it's gonna change the way we attract and retain and motivate people and have them work together in Teams. Um, there's a related point to that. Yeah, I live in a very low density state. I live in Texas. I'm a New Yorker by birth and I've lived in Boston and New York in dense cities. People don't wanna live in those dense cities right now because of the risk. They would rather be in a low rise where they can walk up the stairs. They want to go in their private car. Look at the car sales are much more robust than anybody imagined because I don't want to be on a bus. I don't want to be in a subway train. I want to be in a car. So the, the commercial real estate economy is changing. We're going to be investing, I'd say, in fewer high-rise buildings in dense cities and coming out and building more, lots of parking, low-rise, low-density buildings, and lots of warehouses. The, what we learned during the early days of the pandemic and even now is our supply chains are stretched globally. And that's great because it's cheap. We got just in time, we got lean, we got extended supply chain, but it's a risk mitigation question. Yeah. How do you want to invest your money for risk? So envision a lot more warehouses, a lot more onshore and nearshore manufacturing. And instead of maybe having one concentrated warehouse near a port where everything comes in from Asia, maybe now I have 10 warehouses geographically distributed. So if my workforce gets sick or there's a problem in an area, I can shift my work. Uh, look at Walmart using their stores as hubs. We're moving away from that warehouse into more of a hub spoke. So technologically, that means a lot more warehouse management software, a lot more transportation management software, a lot of complexity 
and a different kind of risk. Now the risk isn't my factory in Asia, which I can put 40 containers every week on the water. Now I got to manage 40 containers worth of goods being made in 20 places and shipped to 40 warehouses. So as a CIO, as a CEO, think about that discussion about risk because it's going to be there. Um, the other thing about growth, just one more point about growth is M&A. I said this to you when we started this conversation months ago. There are companies that are going to be prepared for what's going on. They're going to do well. There are other companies that are going to have hidden, hidden their heads in the sand in the same industry, and they're going to get acquired. So this is a furious M&A market about to hit. It's already started in tech. I think you'll see it in other industries as well. And what that means for the IT department and for the CEO is be prepared for due diligence. And in IT, there's going to be two areas that are vital and overlooked. Technical debt. What am I buying? Am I buying a millstone, uh, old technology that I can't integrate, that won't work, that's going to cost me hundreds of millions of dollars to make work? And the other one is cyber risk. Nobody wants to buy somebody that's been penetrated and you don't find out till after the deal closes. So if your investors or your board is not paying attention to those things, shame on them because you need to be. So you've got this whole M&A thing going on, due diligence on the one hand, and then how do you acquire? How do I buy five companies in a year? And we talked about this a lot, cloud ERP gives me the ability to scale, the ability to configure, the ability to do workflow, the ability to move data. And so without going into that whole discussion, it is a major factor for CEOs, boards, and CIOs to be building up that capability to efficiently acquire. Or if you see yourself differently, to make yourself more readily viable. Yeah. Put yourself up for sale if that's the end game. And that's a legitimate end game. So I think you're going to see growth in a couple of those areas. And Wayne, you've often said that, you know, uh, CEOs and boards of directors get the CIO that they settle for. And I think in this case, it's just more and more incumbent on CIOs not to uh, carry forward the noble but now outdated tradition or position or mindset of what the CIO was, where a CIO would say, it's the job of my, uh, the CIO and the IT department to support the business. No, you are the business now. You're becoming part of the business. So get out in front of some of those, you know, excellent ideas that you've just raised here. And don't be somebody who sort of sits, you know, eagerly with a notepad waiting to be told what to do or advised about how to go do this. As all that technology weaves its way into customer interactions, new product development, new revenue sources, and so on, the CIO needs to be a central player in all of that. So I, I hope people will take to heart that advice that you've been giving, and especially some of these insights about that broad uh, landscape there where CIOs can really jump in and make a powerful, significant difference going forward. Well, so I've been saying this, obviously, for a long time, you know that is if your CIO cannot represent you to the Wall Street analyst community, to your investors, if you're PE owned, to your customers, to whoever, then you've got the wrong CIO in the modern world. I'll not forget, I was with, worked for a company a dozen years ago or so, and we were being shopped. Somebody wanted to buy us. And so we all got together to do a presentation, the CEO, the CFO, the chairman, all the business heads. I've been there about eight months. And so we're all standing around, we all have our decks ready. 
And they looked at me and said, you're going to be the number one presenter because you have the prettiest slide deck. <laughs> and here I am, didn't know the industry, eight months in the company, standing in front of a buyer, presenting the business model of the company because as a CIO, I had to put the pieces together to fix the technical debt. And so I had the best graphics. And so I led the conversation through the flow charts that we had put together with the business. And it, it really dawned on me 12, let's say 12 years ago that IT really has to understand the business the way no one else does. Everybody says the CFO gets the business and, and I agree, but they see it as a financial flow, sources and uses of cash, capital allocation, RAYROC, you know, risk adjusted return on capital. These are the ways they think. When I get into a room, I think about how do you hand your work to them? How does a process over here get changed if I can fix it over here? And so as an IT partner, you really need to understand everything about your business. And, and I'll say this, having been in like 10 industries, 80% of every industry is the same. You buy, you sell, you hire, you fire, you ship, you collect. These don't change. 10% of the industry is industry jargon, usually adjusted EBITDA. This is how we make our numbers look better to explain seasonality or blah, blah, blah. And the other 10 percent is company. It, it, you have to work in the company to actually understand their model. I worked for, there was a three industry oligopsony, three companies doing it. And I went to work for one of them and they told me, this is how the industry works. And then I met people from the other company who said, those guys don't get it. We'll tell you how it works. They were in the same business, commodity business. And yet they saw it very differently. And so that's the point for CIOs and for the board. If you're a board member and you can't tell that you have the right CIO, get help. Ask somebody. Get somebody on your board, a qualified technology expert, somebody like me, a KPMG. I don't care. You got to know if you're going to carry out your duty of care, your board member, that's one of the duties. You better have enough knowledge to know that you've got the right partner. And that's more and more and more important as we move forward into this technology age. Yeah, Wayne, it sounds like, uh, Sorry, you, you know, got, they- Let me work they, up on that. I get, ex I get excited about that, Bob. No, I think you should, right? Because that's, that's uh, it, it's not peripheral stuff anymore, right? It's not fringe stuff. It's, it's, it's front and center. And the story you told about everybody, you know, I think sort of foolishly saying your slides look the best, you get up and talk about it. I think what they were really saying was you get more of how we work and how those potential buyers want to hear about it than the rest of us. So uh, it, it, and if it was true 10 or 12 years ago, Wayne, it sure as heck is even more true today uh, with what's going on there. Wayne, I'm going to just take a break. I know we got a couple more fun things to talk about, but I'd like to uh, offer a word from our sponsor, BMC. BMC wants to know, is your business on its A game? That's when systems are intelligent by learning from markets where automation is paramount yet effortless, and when technology and people work as one in an enterprise. The A game is your business at its absolute best. BMC calls this the autonomous digital enterprise. Find out more at bmc.com slash A game. So, Wayne, it's a, it's a dynamic picture that I think you're painting here. I share your optimism about a lot of these things. Um, I did want to come back to, or maybe just ask you to elaborate a little bit more about that risk awareness side of things, right? Um, 
risk can be a good thing, right? If it's properly managed, if it's understood, leveraged the right way and so forth like that. But never before have so many different potential risk vectors come to bear on a company today, right? As things move faster, moving into new industries, you don't have a lot of time to either catch up with competitors or stay ahead of them. So I think from what you've said, from the top down, boards have to change in some way. But I want to ask you, just within the C-suite, how should they, the different participants in the C-suite, be thinking about this? Well, you made the point that risk is not necessarily bad. I argue that risk is not bad. Risk is how we make money. If you look at one way, one definition of risk is risk is the cost of uncertainty. It's the cost of what we don't know. So whenever you talk about risk, it should be turned into that discussion. What don't we know and what might that cost us? As a technologist, I deal with systemic risk. What's the risk of a process failing? What's the risk of being hacked? What's the risk of a disaster? But lots of people within the business need to be thinking about risk that way. Not risk is bad, we have to avoid it, but risk is a thing we should manage. And so let's, let's start with the board level. Normally, companies, public companies don't have a risk committee and normally they don't have an IT committee. They have an audit committee. And the audit committee's job is to look at the financials. And it got strengthened. Sarbanes-Oxley had a lot to do with strengthening the audit committee, introducing the notion of a qualified financial expert on the audit committee. But so technology risk, cyber risk gets talked about in there, if at all. And where companies are evolving is to have a risk committee that takes the backward looking of the audit committee, what would the books look like, and starts talking about strategic, what are we doing about risk? Where are places where we can be opportunistic and accept more risk, understanding how to lay that risk off, maybe on an insurance company, maybe on a trading partner, maybe absorb it ourselves, and then manage the risk to keep on the edge, the sufficient frontier in technical speak of where my risk and my return seem to be in balance and I can move faster than our competitors. So at the top level, having a risk committee and or an IT committee is not a terrible idea. And they would talk about what are the risks of the things we might do or might not do. Remember, when we talk about technical debt, which is one of the big risks the company bears today, that's the risk of not doing anything. My technical debt is something that accrues every year if I don't take action. And so what happens is I wind up with the company where when a lightning strike knocks out a power panel, I can't fly an airplane for three days or my hospital shuts down for a week and they blame it on electrical strike. Nonsense. They got a battery backup. They even have a spare fuse. What they don't know is how to start the system again when it stops because they haven't done it in 27 years. That's not an acceptable risk and we gotta be dealing with that. So just like I said, when you're doing M&A, you gotta be looking at your, um, your cybersecurity risk. And we can talk a whole presentation about solar winds and what that means. And I think we should when we understand it better. But between technical debt and cyber risk, you get a terrific set of risks that have to be managed and a terrific set of opportunities. Should I invest in a cloud database? Should I invest in 5G? Should I invest in internet of things? Should I transition my business from making widgets to selling data about widgets? These are all risk reward trade-offs and they have to be understood at the board level. And then at the C-suite level that's operating the business, 
business people should be able to speak for the CIO and vice versa. What is the risk of your supply chain? What is the risk of your cash collection cycle? What is the risk of a new product being developed? If I can't exchange these conversations with the head of marketing, with the head of operations, with the head of production, with the head of supply chain, then we're not working properly as a team. Because if, if I have to tell them this as the CIO, they weren't paying attention or I wasn't advising them. And if I don't understand their business well enough, I miss something where my technical skill and their business problem meet. And that's the challenge of any distributed group. We all have our technical specialties, but we all better have the same business hat on first. So from the board level with a risk and IT committee and a qualified technology expert, and we've talked about that before, having somebody on the board that gets it. And then at the C-suite, we're past the point where a C-suite executive can say, ah, oh, that tech stuff, I don't do tech stuff. No, I'm just not techie. I will tell you, I spend a fair amount of my time mentoring C-suite execs and board members, one at a time. The good news, I have the gray hair, so I don't scare them. I'm up at 20-something. But we'll talk about it, and, and there are no dumb questions about technology when you're a C-suite or board member. There, there may be things where you're not informed, and that's my job as a consultant or as a CIO to inform you. But it's no longer okay to abdicate and say, I don't have to know that stuff, because you do. And you're managing the risk, and you're managing the opportunity, and I think that's just key. Yeah. Yeah. Wayne, that's, that's really a great capper on a lot of the things you've talked about before. I think, especially in terms of, um, uh, you know, risk is the cost of uncertainty. Well, those companies then that are best able to harness uh, these waves of data, ripples of data all around their company from the core to the edge and back in, they're going to be a little less uncertain than others, be able to push that risk down. And I think that'll be a massive competitive advantage. So really, Wayne, some great insights there. And I know, I think in closing, you also had some really interesting ideas about, you know, healthcare today with what's going on and the vaccine and so forth is uppermost in everybody's mind these days. But there are, again, these ripple effects that you've thought that there are some really, you know, good high level ideas that CIOs and CTOs and CDOs and boards ought to be thinking about because there's these waves of change that have begun to hit in 2020 are just gonna become tidal waves in the near future. Yeah, well, let's talk about telemedicine for a bit. I, I worked somewhere in that, some in that industry and I've worked around teleoperation for many, many years. So let's talk about that for a moment. The big change in telemedicine in the last nine months, 10 months has been regulatory and reimbursement. It's how the government deals with tech. Um, the tech of telemedicine. It's letting doctors practice across state lines, which they couldn't do before. If I'm a doctor in Texas, I couldn't take a call from somebody in Louisiana. It's against the law. Now I can. Uh, CMS, Center for Medicaid and Medicare Services, now reimburses telemedicine like a visit. So all of a sudden, I'm a hospital, I'm a provider. I see the economics in doing that, where before, I wanted your body in my waiting room because that's how I got paid. So by loosening and changing the government restriction, we've enabled something that the technology was already there. The level one of telemedicine, I'll talk about three levels in a minute. Level one is talking, just being able to see somebody in the video and they go, I got a rash over here and the doctor looks and we talk about it. 
that technology has been around for a while. It just never was, it, it never was released because of the regulatory and reimbursement constraints. Level two is where we're coming up now. Level two is the second T in telemedicine and it's telemetry. It ties into that data and networking thing we talked about before. I have a, a doctor friend that we're partners in a business. And he said to me, if I could know your blood pressure every 15 minutes, 24 hours a day, in concert with what you're eating, how you're sleeping, what you're doing, we would learn things in medicine. We can't even begin to imagine what they are. In industries like senior living, where I've done some work, we're monitoring things like gait in the floor, tossing and turning in the bed. Um, how do we, if you take your temperature, um, we can even put things on your toilet and monitor the whole cycle um, and tell you what you're eating and how it's going through your body. When we have the edge technology, when we have the IoT and we have the networking, and by the way, when we have a secure, scalable database, because okay. now I'm talking about intimate details of everybody's life, we gotta be sure that they're being preserved and properly um, anonymized so that we can derive research value while not giving up too much of our personal lives. So that, that's level two is telemetry. And we're getting there right now, the health watches, the smart treadmills and everything else. Level three is where we're still not there yet. And that's teleoperation. And that telemedicine, teleoperation sound the same. Teleoperation just means operating at a distance. If you see the videos of people working on uh, radioisotopes or working in a level four hot room, they put their hands in a thing and these robotic arms move. Well, why can't the robotic arms be across the world? I can be a doctor in Mumbai and I can operate on a patient in Pittsburgh. Why not? And so the reason why not up to now has been regulatory, legal, and I didn't have a reliable, low latency, high bandwidth connection. I wanna make sure the video I'm seeing is really what's happening. I wanna make sure the robot is really doing what he's supposed to be doing. And so we're, we're at the, the kind of the beginning of that third stage of telemedicine. And I think that's gonna change dramatically as long as we keep the regulatory burden and allow the reimbursement burden to catch up with the technology. Because so much of what we do in society, whether it's Airbnb or Uber or now telemedicine, it is about the regulation and reimbursement. How do we get paid? How do we pay people? How, do we, how are we allowed to do this business? And we're starting to, bow, to bounce up against that. The pandemic caused a lot of things to change very quickly. And I don't see that change reversing much. Right. Probably a few things. Right. But that's going to create a world. I'll just sum up the whole conversation. If you are a CEO, a board member, a C-suite executive, You've got to be ready to sense and respond faster than ever. You've got to be able to move faster and you've got to be able to take those leaps, manage your risk better than you ever could because there's going to be opportunities that come up that are risky. If you don't know how to manage your risk and don't know how to carry that through your technology, your sociology, and your culture, you're going to fail. Either fail by not doing it or fail by trying and not succeeding. And so that's the message for 2022 sense and respond, be ready to move faster and understand how to take intelligent risk. Yeah. And Wayne, you know, it's a, it's a fantastic summary. I think uh, it's something I've uh, chatted with you before about. I don't mean this as a formal uh, title change, but I think it would do good for uh, chief 
information officers and others in similar roles like that to think of themselves as the chief acceleration officer. How can I get the company to move more quickly, do all those things you talked about, sense and respond, move as quick as the markets around you because the outside world is only gonna move more quickly. So how can we constantly keep the internal pace of an organization accelerating? Wayne, uh, as always, you know, I, I think uh, every one of the episodes that we've done together over the last couple of years has been terrific. This might be the best one ever. You're really on the mark Thank here, Wayne. And, and I hope that uh, next time we chat, at least one of the two bottles over your shoulder has, is gone. Uh, you, you've earned the right to, uh, to enjoy that. And it's, Wayne, it's really been terrific. Thank you so much for sharing these uh, hard-earned and deep insights. Always a pleasure to talk with you. And I look forward to, like I always say, I look forward to comments and arguments and conversation. Let's get this dialogue going and convince the rest of the business. That sounds great, Wayne. Wonderful. And folks, thanks to all of you for being with us here at Cloud Wars Live. We hope that 2021 is off to a great start. We hope that some of Wayne's visions for 2022 carry over into what you're doing. And we look forward very much to seeing you next time.